Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If it's your first time here, remember to subscribe wherever you're listening. Come find us on Facebook and on Instagram and come find me on LinkedIn. I want to connect with you. Next month, we're going to be launching our newsletter. Now, it's going to be designed to help us all get 1% better every day. It's going to have tips and all the great things that we've learned from a lot of our guests, as well as upcoming events of how you can get to know some of the C-suite leaders, the command leaders, the people that we talk to, the authors. We want to make sure that everyone is getting connected and finding the most value out of the podcast, out of the DC Local Leaders platform. So check out dclocalleaders.com where you can sign up for the newsletter. Now, There'll be a couple questions for you to answer, and that's on purpose so that we can get you tailored content. If you're a C-suite leader, if you're a command leader, if you're mid-career, if you just want to make a change and shift your mindset, it has nothing to do with your job. We want to make sure that we get you the best version of the newsletter so that it makes the most sense for you, creating value. So please go ahead and sign up. If there's any questions about it, come find me on LinkedIn. Connect with me. Ask me whatever you want. Suggest a guest. Any kind of information you want us to delve into that'll be helpful to you, that'll create value for you, let us know so that we can bring you exactly what you need to get 1% better every day. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different from our norm. We're going to be chatting with Patrick Gall, the executive director of the National Technology Security Coalition. He's going to join us a little later on and tell us more about his leadership, his experiences, the impactful moments from his military experience all the way through his career that can help us grow and apply to our own lives. But today we're going to learn a little bit more about what the National Technology Security Coalition is and their upcoming conference. If you're a CIO, a CISO, anyone working in cybersecurity, both within the government or in the private industry, you want to listen up. National Technology Security Coalition is a small group specifically designed to bridge the gap between the government and the private industry. And he's going to give us a lot of great information about what they're doing, what their motivations are, their main mission of the NTSC. And I hope you enjoy. I wanted to do something a little different for you guys today. So this is a special episode. We're going to follow right back up and get his message out to you as well. So let's get into the episode. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. You're here today on the DC Local Leaders Podcast, coming all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, right? Yes, we are. Down in the south. You are the executive director of NTSC, and predominantly most of your members are CISOs, right? That's kind of who you tailor your organization to? Right. Chief Information Security Officers are, are a major part of our organization. Well, how'd you come to be involved with NTSC? Are you uh, a cybersecurity person or IT? Well, in my background, I did do a cyber startup back in 2012 that was wrapped around secure collaboration, working with some former colleagues. I did that for a few years. But the way I got involved in the NTSC is that I, I spent about 10 years 
serving on the board of directors of the Technology Association of Georgia, which is the largest state technology association in North America with about 34,000 members. And in 2014, I was the board director. After I finished that year as the chair, I stepped down. A few months after I, I departed, I got a call from the president of TAG, and he outlined this vision of creating an entity within the state of Georgia that had a national identity, which is focused on cybersecurity, which is at the nexus of everything that happens these days. Most people think about Georgia, they think about peaches and peanuts, but the reality is Georgia ranks fourth in the nation in cyber revenue. We have 150 cyber startups in the state. We have Fort Gordon, we have nine military installations. So it's, it's, it is a major cyber state. So I came in to do some consulting and advising and just kind of led to me being offered the role of executive director. I felt like the vision was really good and I wanted to be part of it. My charter was to, to build the organization because when I first started, it was me and, and seven board members who formed our founding board members. So that was five years ago, and, and today we were just, I interviewed my prospective 45th board member, and all together we have over 75 senior technology security executives involved in the coalition. And you've got a number of different councils that go along with that board, right? Tell us a little bit more about the makeup of NTSC. And is there a mission statement that you work with? Sure. Our mission is to act as the national voice of the chief information security officer in Washington, D.C. It's a voice that's been absent. Um, if you go to a hearing on the Hill around cyber and you look at those folks who are testifying, it's often the same folks. It's McAbee, Symantec, VMware, IBM Security, and, and they're all incredibly talented and bright people, but none of them are Kevin McKenzie, the Chief Information Security Officer at Dollar Tree, defending 18,000 stores across the nation day in and day out. So our mission is to bring the practitioner's voice to the Hill so that as legislators consider cyber legislation, cyber policy, which mostly impacts CISOs, they actually have some perspective on how that's going to impact a chief information security officer. So we started with the idea of bringing their voice to the Hill. The board of directors is comprised of chief information security officers or other folks with equivalent titles, you know, executive vice president, information security, things like that. We've also formed a policy council, which is comprised of governmental affairs executives from our board members. And then we have an advisory council, which is sort of an eclectic group. It, it includes people like uh, retired Lieutenant General Kevin McLaughlin, who's a former deputy director of U.S. Cyber Command, former retired Major General Patricia Frost, who ran cybersecurity and electronic warfare for the U.S. Army, Dick Clark, who was the first cyber czar under Bill Clinton. So, yeah, all together in those three groups are 75 executives involved in supporting the coalition. It's funny you mentioned earlier Dollar Tree, and I think for, for a lot of people, it's really easy not to recognize just how much cybersecurity is an issue for things like the retail industry, Dollar Tree. It's everyday companies. It's Johnson & Johnson. It's Pepsi-Cola. It's, it's everybody that does anything anywhere that has any sort of intellectual property, and it sounds like your membership is made up of all of those people. 
It, it is. We're, one of the advantages we have when we go to the Hill is that we're industry agnostic. So the chief information security officer at Johnson & Johnson doesn't need any help with lobbying about pharmaceutical industry issues. And the CISO at J.P. Morgan Chase, who's on my board, tr trust me, they got the financial services lobbying altogether. So what we focus on are policies that transcend industries. So we're industry agnostic, we're nonpartisan, we're not politically oriented. So when we walk in, we're not a K Street firm, we're in Atlanta, Georgia. I talked to you a little bit about the five policies that we're focused on. The first one is national data breach notification legislation. Today in the United States, all 50 states have legislation focused on data breach notification. You have to comply with the way they ask you to notify them. And the consumers, you need to make sure if you're the chief legal counsel at XYZ Global Farm, then you have to make sure you're prepared to comply with the notification requirements in each state, which means you have to constantly be aware of them because they're not static. Some people like to say compliance doesn't equal security. I, I don't agree with that because studies and study after study shows that compliant firms get breached a lot less than non-compliant firms. But still, there's a lot of administrative costs. And if you talk to any of the chief information security officers, they will tell you, set the bar as high as you want in security, but give me one place to file. Make it a little less complicated. Yeah. So that's the first policy, and closely behind that is creating a federal privacy mandate. So today, we have CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, which is the most comprehensive piece of privacy legislation in the United States, very similar to the legislation that was passed in Europe called GDPR, the Global Data Protection Act, very comprehensive. In fact, it's sort of CCPA is modeled on GDPR. And then recently, Virginia and Colorado passed privacy legislation. So we're headed down the same path on privacy legislation that we have on data breach. We'd like to have a federal privacy mandate. The FTC would control it, I think, would make the most, organ you know, Federal Trade Commission. In fact, the 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 Energy and Commerce just passed, just approved the creation of a privacy bureau within FTC in this new legislation that's going out, like a billion dollars allocated for that. That was just announced this week. So those are our number one, number two. Number three is workforce development, cyber workforce development, and with a heavy emphasis on two areas. One is diversity. If you look at the number of women in cyber, it's appalling. And then if you look at the number of minorities behind that, it's even more appalling. And you look at the number of chief information, only, there are only out of the Fortune 1000 companies, there's only 26 female CISOs. And, and believe me, if we had a, a long time, I'd go and talk to you about the root cause, which goes all the way back to middle school and whether young women are being encouraged or discouraged to take math. And then if you walk into an AP calculus class in high school and you're 25 students, you'd be lucky if you have three or four women that are taking AP calculus. And then 
young women who go into college and take STEM programs, science, technology, engineering, and math, a large percentage of them, like 66% of all young women who go into college focused on a STEM program, drop out of the STEM program, with if not out of college, but out of the program first 18 months, because they haven't gone through the rigors of math by the time they get to college. So we want more young women. We think that things like Georgia did, which if you, you can take a coding class, and it's the same thing as taking a foreign language class. When I was in school, everybody took two years of Spanish, French, German. It didn't necessarily make you a a linguist when you finished the two years. But, you know, two years of coding is what we need, two years of computer programming. That's what we need to have kids focused on today. And then the second thing is we want to create a national cyber scholarship for service program, similar to the analogy I use. If you go to Annapolis and you get a great degree out of Annapolis, then you're going to go serve six years in the military for four years of college. So I want you to go to college for four years, get a degree in cybersecurity, and then go work in state and federal government, go work at the NSA, go work at Cyber Command, Army Command as a civilian for six years. And, and why does that make sense? Well, if you look at the number of openings in the federal and state governments, it's, it vacillates, but it's probably in the neighborhood of forty-five to 50,000 jobs open right now. And... If you look at the kids coming out of university with a degree in cyber, the first certification they get is called Cyber a CompTIA Security Plus. Uh, if you look at the number of jobs that are advertised that call for that certification only, then there are about 4.5 people for every job. If you go up the stack to CCISP, some of the higher level certifications that you could only get with seven to nine years of experience. And you look at the number of openings and you look at the number of people available is like 0.4. So uh, we want a national program. There are some programs and they're really good programs, but they're very narrow. We have over 5,000 institutions of higher learning in this country. Only 86 of them are qualified for cyber scholarship for service. And you take the state of Georgia, we have eight nationally recognized programs at universities and colleges across the state. When I say nationally recognized, they're considered centers of excellence by the NSA. Only two of them are qualified for cyber for scholarship for service. So that's policy number three. Number four is critical infrastructure, focusing on protecting the operators and consumers. And then number five is, which is really woven through the first four, is a strengthening the public-private partnership. That You hear that term a lot. Philip, public-private partnership, but when you really dig down, it, it needs a lot of work. When you're lobbying and when you're trying to affect these policies, what are some of the things you guys are doing, and what does that look like when you, when you try to help more women get into STEM and more other folks get into STEM, when you try to help bring a program where people graduating or they can go to college, get a STEM degree, and then work within the, the federal or state governments? Like, What does it look like to do that? Well, it's, it's mostly faceted. Georgia Tech, I say, arguably has one of the best master's program in cybersecurity in the country. But when they were setting up their online program, which is the same program you get when you, when you go to school, which, by the way, is under $10,000 for a master's program at Georgia Tech, which most people don't realize. We actually worked with the folks setting up the program, brought in 14 CISOs, 
trying to give them some sense of some of the things we'd like to see these kids having when they come out. It's kind of grassroots work there. And then when we go to Congress, it's about educating people, helping them aware of the fact that only 86 universities, and we have over 5,000, and working with congressional leaders and helping them get passionate about this. We're working with one senator back in 2020 who, had he been reelected, I think we'd have a a bill on the floor right now. So he didn't get reelected, so we we had to step back, and we're working with another congressional leader now. Uh, It's about education. It's about dialogue. It's about bringing the stakeholders together so that we can we can have, you know, serious conversations about what is realistically happening in the marketplace. The, the whole idea of all these kids getting out of university, you hear they, they're starting at 80,000. Well, if they can get a job, maybe, but they're 4.5 for every job. So you'll meet kids who are working in internships because they just haven't found a job and they've been out of school for 18 months. But education is a key part of what we do. If you think about the House and the Senate and the number of congressional leaders who are truly, truly conversant with cybersecurity, it's it's a small percentage. I mean, I could list a number of the names. And we lost some of those folks in 2020 who, who left the house. It sounds like you, in some sense, because that's a natural thing that happens within government, that like you're constantly restarting this conversation with new people. And then part of the challenge is kind of you're starting from one again every two years. Well, if you think of the House Homeland Security Committee, and I, I don't hold me to this number, I may be off by one or two. I think there were 20 new members that came in in January to that committee. We've met with every one of them. We've, you know, had conversations with every one of them, helping them understand what we're about, why we're here, why why the voice of the chief information security officer, a practical practitioner's voice is important to be heard. So yeah, it's constantly having to educate and probably next year, at the end of next year in 2023, we'll be educating some more new folks. But that's okay. We have some congressional leaders who are very focused on cybersecurity, whether it's Congressman Langevin, who's speaking at our conference next week. I think that goes to your point. Like, you guys are doing this full time, and that's specifically what NTSC is dedicated to doing, those five things. And so for the members, the huge benefit is that for them to try to recreate what you're already doing, they wouldn't have the time or the personnel or the boots on the ground to really do that. And that's the biggest value that you guys you provide to them. You mentioned something just now about your conference that's coming up. That's September 22nd and 23rd. The 22nd is sort of an internal day. We have a a private lunch with Congressman Katko where he'll come in and talk to our members about his priorities and where he sees us going. And then we have our only face-to-face board meeting that afternoon. And that evening we'll have a, you know, reception and a dinner. And then the following day is the conference. And that kicks off with Jen Easterly, who's the director, the new director, just recently appointed, of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And then we have Tom Bird, who's one of the top executives at Microsoft, coming in and talking about customer security. We're doing a panel on on the challenges with supply chain within healthcare. And we have the chief information security officers from 
Johnson & Johnson and Cardinal Health and McKesson and will be moderated by a senior executive from Microsoft. We finished the morning with Congressman Langevin. He's the co-chair of the Cybersecurity Caucus in the House. And then we'll start right after lunch with Robert Hannigan, who's the former director of GCHQ. And he was the guy who set up the National Cybersecurity Center in the U.K., so we're going to kind of take an international slant. And so we, we want to get that kind of the international perspective. What's happening over there? How does it relate over here? And by the way, Sage Software has a huge presence in the U.S. So they're very interested in cyber policy in the U.S. We'll have a chap by the name of Ray Rothrock, who uh, is the executive chair of Red Seal out on the U.S. coast, serial entrepreneur who wrote a book called Digital Resilience. And he's going to come in and talk about the importance of resilience. So is there still time for anyone who may be listening to this to sign up for this year's conference? No, we're closed. However, if you do want to, uh, to join virtually either the entire day or you want to pop in for one or two of the presentations, you can go to www.ntsc.org and go to events. Uh, there's a tab at the top that says events. And you click on that and then you click on the national conference. It'll take you to a link and then you can pop in and out virtually and watch as much or as little as you'd like. And we have well over 100 people that have signed up virtually mostly senior technology security executives. So the conference is closed to in-person, but you're, we're all welcome to join us virtually. We don't charge for our conferences. We don't, our regional roundtables are invitation only because the other thing is we never have any media in the room. And, and the reason for that is we really want to have a candid dialogue between the audience and the speakers and so if, if you've got a congressional leader in the room, the last thing they want to do is get misquoted. Right. And we understand. So any CISOs that are listening or anyone that is on the executive level or even up and coming that like to participate with NTSC and become a member and look at some of your events and soak up some of that knowledge, would they do that on your website as well? Or what's the process for doing that? Well, I would say the first thing to do is go look, you know, go to NTSC.org. Go look at our website. Look at some of our white papers. Probably the one I would read first is why the emerging voice of the CISO is so important on Capitol Hill. That white paper will explain why we believe bringing that practical voice, practitioner's voice, is so critical. And then if you're interested in learning about the board and becoming a member, then you can reach out to me directly. All of my contact details are on the website. We are planning to launch a new member program next January. And that program will be focused more on the mid-level executives who aren't ready yet for the board, but want to have some insight into policy and legislation. So we're vendor light. So if you're a chief information security officer, this is a message I always tell a candidate who's, who's talking to me about becoming a board member. If you go to one of our events, you're not going to be constantly being bugged by 27-year-old salespeople trying to get your business card. We're vendor light, and we don't, we don't allow any salespeople. So if you're Microsoft, Ben Hendricks, who's in the office of the chief architect, is the board member. If you're Palo Alto, Paul, who's their chief security officer for the Americas, is on the board. So we, 
we create that peer-to-peer -peer relationship with our underwriters. And our underwriters are extremely supportive. I mean, they just not just the financial investment. They support us with resources, technical writing, marketing resources. Uh, they believe in our mission. It's not about, oh, I want to sell to one of your customers. I mean, Microsoft believes that it's important that we strengthen the public-private dialogue. Their focus is very heavy on security. I don't know if you know, saw the announcement. They just brought in the former head of security at Amazon, 23 years at Amazon. Benny King is going to be the new head of security. Palo Alto is, you know, complementary to Microsoft. They work closely together. So, well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really, I'm happy that you made some time to kind of chat with us. I'm glad that we were able to get your message out, make sure that people are aware of not just what NTSC is, but the fact that this conference, how tailored of a, and a private event it actually is and how much of a value and benefit it can be for the CISOs of the companies here in D.C. to participate in in future events or join in on the virtual. Well, thank you very much for the invitation to be here. I'm, I, we really are grateful for the opportunity to get some more exposure and I look forward to talking to you again about the journey side. I'd love to have you on to talk a little bit more. The DC Local Leaders podcast focuses on leadership development, mindset of executive and command leaders, military, government, and technology. And you're right there. I know that you've got some military background. I'd love to find out what makes you tick and how you got to where you are. Welcome that opportunity, Philip, and thank you. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders, on Instagram at DC Local Leaders, or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.